Amen. Well, y'all ready for some preaching? Say yes. You know, it's fall break weekend. Look around, man. Got a great group here this morning. So glad you guys are here today and excited to be able to continue this series entitled The King is Coming, which by the way, eyeball to eyeball. Aren't y'all ready for that? I mean, I'm asking y'all, are y'all ready for that to happen? Did y'all not see who's running for president? Aren't y'all ready for the king to come? You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, Jesus, before it is way too late. But anyway, excited about what we have to share with you this morning. And let me just kind of remind you, so everybody's on the same page. If you missed us last week, we started this brand new series on the end times. Indeed, called The King is Coming. And right behind me, we got the redneck timeline of the end times. And this is redneck because everything that we found was either in a closet or at the dollar store. Amen? And so up here, if you can look at on the ground, that actually describes describes everything that's going to happen here on the earth. Everything that's up high describes what's happening up in heaven in God's presence. So if you can kind of look at this particular uh, box here, and by the way, every one of these boxes have an object in it, so in the days ahead, I'll be pulling those out and kind of surprising you. But uh, this particular box represents the church age. Now, I do have a little church here, uh, but the reality is the church is not a building. It's actually a group of people. The Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 2 that whenever individuals place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for the payment of their sin, it's in that moment that they enter into the church invisible. All right, so the church is everybody who has given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has occurred from Acts chapter 2 all the way until present day. So it was after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and it started in Acts chapter 2, and it's going on even today. Which, by the way, great news if you you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ, the doors are still open. Say amen. And so people can still respond and you become a member of the church. Now, the church actually uh, kind of disappears, the Bible says, in what is known as the great catching up or the gathering of the saints. We often call it the rapture. And that's what this trumpet represents here. The trumpet will sound. The Bible says Jesus will come in the clouds and he will take the church and they will meet him in the air. We talked about that last week. So if you missed it, concordgo.com, you catch up. And after the rapture, though, we enter into what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. That's what the gavel is hanging here for. And then this plate represents the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, those are the two events I want to talk about this morning. But just by way of reminder, on the earth, down here on the floor, whenever the church is raptured up, the Bible says that the earth will experience what is known as a seven-year tribulation. So that tribulation, we're going to talk about that next week. And then the tribulation will be ended at the second coming of Jesus. Jesus comes from the marriage supper of the Lamb with the church to the earth. And whenever he comes, he saves Israel, brings Israel to himself, and he ushers in what is known as the millennial kingdom right here on the earth. That is a thousand-year literal reign of Jesus Christ. And check this out. You as followers of Jesus are going to come back with Jesus, and you will rule and reign with him. Now, what you're going to be doing in the millennial kingdom will be determined based upon your faithfulness at this particular time in your life. And I'm going to preach on that, obviously, in the days ahead. But after the millennial kingdom, you have the great white throne judgment, the judgment of unbelievers, and then you have the eternal state. All right, so with that in mind, what I want to do is focus in on these two objects today, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and also the marriage supper of the Lamb. So are y'all ready for it? Say yes. All right, two passages of Scripture this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is the first passage. Go ahead and find it in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then, if you will, look at Revelation chapter 19. All right, so you're going to have those two passages. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5 first. That deals with the judgment seat of Jesus. 
And then I'm going to read Revelation chapter 19, which deals specifically with the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right, so y'all ready for it? Say amen. All right, that was about eight of you. Y'all ready for this? Because this is legit stuff, man. This is going to help you, I promise. All right, so stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. All right, Revelation chapter 19 now talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We begin reading Revelation 19 verse 7. All right, y'all got it there? I love hearing those pages turn, all right? Or the iPads scroll. All right, verse 7, the Bible says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. Speaking about Jesus. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her, that's the bride, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you so much uh, for our time together in worship and in the word. And pray now that you'd speak so clearly to us. And Father, I will pray that you will uh, rapture our minds to be able to grasp, hold what you have in store for those of us who know you. God, I pray as well for those who have not yet given their hearts to you. God, speak to them this morning, draw them to salvation, and we'll give you glory for it. Now, Lord, uh, show us what we should be motivated to live for, and we'll give you glory. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. So if you got a listening guide, i got two major questions this morning. The first one, pretty simple. uh, What exactly is the judgment seat of Jesus Christ? What's the judgment seat of Christ? And uh, here's the answer just in short, all right? The judgment seat of Jesus Christ is a time frame in the future where every believer will be evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about that. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, the Bible says after the rapture, you will actually stand at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus. And whenever you stand before him, Jesus is then going to evaluate your life to see how you did in following him. That's really the point. All right. Now, Paul speaks about that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So look at it again in your Bible. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say this. Thankfully, all right, thankfully, this is not a judgment of condemnation. All right. So this is not Jesus looking at you, trying to decide whether or not to let you into heaven. All right. You're already there. Because the rapture has occurred, you are in heaven. You're now standing before Jesus, not being judged for condemnation. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans 8 1, and by the way, aren't you glad for that verse? It says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get a witness on that one? No condemnation, right? As soon as you came to faith in Jesus, all condemnation has been removed, and it will never be placed on you again. So the judgment seat is not about condemnation. The judgment seat, however, is taught to you and I to be a time frame where we are evaluated based upon our life of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note again verse 10. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that 
Each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, eyeball to eyeball, what, what does this mean? What does it mean to be recompensed in the body? It's a word that means to be rewarded, all right? So each one will stand before the Lord Jesus, and we will be rewarded based upon what we have done in our body, whether good or whether bad. Now, these phrases here, good and bad, really describe those things that are of value and those things that are of no value whatsoever. So again, what's interesting is Paul the Apostle, was a huge sports fan. Whenever you study the life of Paul, you will discover that he is forever using sports analogies to make points. And that's what he's doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. He's actually using an analogy of the reward seat in the Olympic Games in Greece. So it's the Greco-Roman Olympic imagery that Paul the Apostle has here in his mind. And we know that because of the word choices that he uses in the Greek grammar. He describes the judgment seat as the bema seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bema seat means the reward seat. Now, back in the day, whenever they had the Greco-Roman Olympics, if you were in an event, you would run that race or you would wrestle that person, you would have the event, but once it was over, you would then, with all the other participants, be standing in front of what is known as the reward seat. Now, the judge who was looking at the games, watching your technique, watching what you were doing, he evaluates you, and then he stands up and he gives you rewards based upon your accomplishments. Now, the interesting thing is that they often would give re for rewards, right? So like a crown or a wreath, they would put that on the individual's head. And so Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 5.10 really has that imagery in mind. So think about it. You run your race of faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. The rapture occurs or you die and you're still in heaven. The Bible says now you stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to evaluate your life by looking at how well you did in following him. So that's what he's evaluating. And then he's evaluating those things that are good or those things that are bad. Which by the way, imagine it for just a moment, all right? Today's the day, all right? Boom, you're raptured up. You now are standing at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? I mean, what will Jesus see in your life? If he's evaluating you based upon your service to him, I mean, is he gonna see in your life all of these areas where he can reward you, or is he gonna see areas where you completely wasted your life, right? You were spinning your wheels on the earth, right? Spinning, spinning, going after whatever you were going after, but you missed out on what the Lord really desired for your life, and you suffer loss. You know, Paul actually speaks about this as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to what he says. It's a powerful passage. He says, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. You know what that means? Eyeball to eyeball. Your work will one day become evident before the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says it like this. For the day, speaking about the judgment seat, the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, I bought eyeball. When he says it's going to be revealed with fire, he's not talking about the fires of hell. He's talking about the fiery eyes of the refinement of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. 
Matter of fact, if you think about it, back in the day whenever they were uh, refining materials, they would take uh, silver and they would shove it into the fire, right? So it would heat up and the dross would melt away. They'd pull it out, they'd beat on it, they'd shove it back in, the dross would melt away until finally they brought it out and it was just as they desired for it to be. That's the imagery. At the judgment seat of Jesus, your life will be evaluated in the refiner's fire. So everything that you've ever done for Jesus or did not do for Jesus will be laid out in front of him and his fiery eyes will consume anything that is of no value and it will fall away. And only that which remains will be the things that you did truly for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he says it like this. If any man's work which he has built on Jesus remains, he will receive a reward. All right, so it's like if you do well and Jesus sees that, he's like, oh, got your reward right here. Let me put this crown on your head. Let me give you this gift. That's what Jesus will do. And then he says here, and if any man's work is burned up, this is strong, man, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. Now again, saved through the fire, not the fires of hell, but the fire of the refinement of Jesus' eyes. And there are some people, Paul says, they will stand at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fire of his judgment will come upon their life, and they will have nothing to show for their life following Jesus. They will suffer loss. They will enter into glory, not by the skin of their teeth, because they enter in, just like everybody else does, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but they will enter in with no life of service to show for Christ's sake. How embarrassing would that be? Can you imagine that? I mean, your whole life just wasted, right? You spun your wheels trying to make the perfect a project at work, you spun your wheels trying to fix your yard and make it look beautiful. I mean, you spun your wheels trying to save up your money so you can get you a swimming pool and you saved up your cash so you could go on vacation and hit your golf balls. And then Jesus evaluates your life. All of that burn up. Because none of it was set aside for the glory of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If anything here this morning, what I want to do is warn you not to waste your life. you you got this short life to live, and when you stand before Jesus, man, I want you to get rewards. I really do. I want you to be sold out to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want you to reach in other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to serve using your spiritual gift. I want you to mature in your walk with Christ. And as you do these things, these things make a difference for all of eternity. You'll be rewarded for those things. And some of you, be flat out, gut level honest. If today were the day you stood before Jesus at the judgment seat, if the fires really came up to evaluate your life, you'd just flat out be embarrassed. I think, by the way, I don't think, I know, not every single believer is going to be judged the same. Some people are going to be rewarded, some are going to suffer loss, and not all of us are going to receive the same kinds of rewards. But the Scripture says, and it blows my mind every time I read it, that Jesus one day will wipe the tears from their eyes in heaven. Why is he wiping tears from the eyes of people in heaven? Why are people crying in heaven? Could it be because at the judgment seat they realized they wasted their whole life? And in tears before the Lord Jesus Christ, they confess, I did not do what you really called me to do. 
You called me to go into the world and make disciples, but Lord, I didn't do any of that. Lord, you called me to serve using my spiritual gift, but Lord, I didn't do any of that either. I just kind of let my life float around, and I kept saying, when it get around to it, Jesus, then I'll get involved. When it becomes more convenient in my life, then I'll really plug in. Is that how you want to stand before Jesus, having lived a life like that? Man, I hope not. I hope you have this desire to honor the Lord with your life. And I love what C.T. Studd once said, quote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. And then he says, and when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. What an awesome statement. So again, if you were to stand at the judgment seat right now, what would the eyes of Jesus see? What rewards would you receive? What would remain as gold and precious stone? Or what would go up in smoke as worthless living? It was uh, Dr. Harry Ironside who, who said this, there are some people who will make it to heaven, but they will smell as if they were bought in a fire sale. The imagery is that as they enter into heaven, their lives will collapse behind them. Everything will go up in smoke. And what a tragedy. See, some of you are more concerned about whether or not George is going to win the game today than how you're going to do at the judgment seat of Jesus. Some of you are more concerned about getting a raise than you are about what it's going to be when you stand before Christ. Some of you, are, you're overwhelmingly filled up with anxiety about things that make no difference for eternity whatsoever. Zip. And Jesus, the judgment, is right around the corner for you, man. Right around the corner. Y'all out there? I mean, I'm preaching up here. Have y'all heard some preaching this morning? Help a brother out every once in a while. Thank you. Now, when I'm studying this, I'm like, what kind of rewards could we get, right? What kind of stuff could we actually get from Jesus? And uh, I just kind of skipped a rock across the New Testament and found several rewards Jesus promises. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, jot this down. There's an incorruptible crown. The reward is given to the person who has sought to run the race of faith with self-control and discipline. And then Revelation 2, 10, there's a crown of life. This reward is given to those who are faithful in the face of persecution. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, for your reward in heaven will be great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4 describes a crown of glory. This crown is reserved for faithful pastors who feed the flock of God and seek to live as an example to them. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, or chapter 4 and verse 8 describes a crown of righteousness. Now check this out. This is a reward given to all believers who live with anticipation of Christ's return. So you're leaning forward. You are living in light of the fact Jesus is coming for you. If you live that way, Jesus is like, I've got a reward for you. I have a crown I'm going to put on your head. And Matthew... Um, 6, 19 through 21, I skipped one. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20 describes a crown for soul winners. For those uh, you have personally led to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says Jesus is going to give you a crown. 
Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus promises a reward to those who are financially generous. He says, don't store up your uh, treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. He goes on and talks about when you are generous to those upon the earth, the Lord banks that for you in heaven. Luke chapter 14, Jesus speaks about showing hospitality to those who cannot repay. Think about that, right? You invite somebody over to your house, you feed them a meal, and they do not have the ability to repay you for that. Jesus says it like this, and I love the text. He says, uh, I will repay you at the resurrection of the righteous. Wow. Those are just some of the rewards. Some of them. What rewards will you get? When you die and stand before Jesus at the judgment seat or the rapture occurs and you're before the Lord Jesus Christ, what will your life show for itself to the Lord? And please don't fall into a plethora of ignorant statements that Christians make when it comes to this. For example, I've jotted some down. If I just get into heaven, I'll be satisfied. If I receive a shack in glory, I'll be good with it. No, you're not, you're not good with a shack here. Uh, don't live like this. As long as I get in, no, no, no. Live, live in this manner. After all that Jesus Christ has done for me. After the sacrifice that he made on my behalf on the cross at Calvary. After his resurrection, after his promised home in heaven, after his forgiveness, his redemption, his new life, after his promise of eternal life, after all of that, when I stand before Jesus, I want to make sure that I am standing there giving an account of a life well lived for him. Period. That's what we're shooting for. Are y'all listening say yes? Because some of us, all we're shooting for is to try to impress the people who are around us. So you're spending your life doing it. It's like, I hope they're impressed. I hope they are impressed. What do they think? What do they? Hey, question is, is Jesus going to look at your life and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Was he going to look at your life and say, what, you, why did you waste everything, my child? That's, that's going to happen. Not everybody's hearing well done. Not everybody. Jesus can't lie. Are y'all listening to me preach here this morning? Yes. I'm serious as a heart attack. Man, be, be, be ready for this. I want you to do well there. That's why I'm hollering this morning. Because it's like I want to sober you up to what's real. Because we're, we're spinning our wheels on things that will be burnt up. That's what we're doing. Now, some people are like, live for rewards? That seems so egotistical. Hush. It's not egotistical. Right, I think about my kids playing sports. Whenever they play sports, right, and they do something well, they turn back and they look at who? Me. What are they looking for? They want me to go, that's my boy. Go get them, girls. Right? Because they want to please their father. I want to serve the Lord with my whole heart. Why? Not to impress you. Because I want to please my father. And when he's looking and he's like, that's my boy, that's what I want to hear, man. So, so you might be out there saying, I wish he wouldn't holler like he does. And the Lord, here's what I think the Lord's doing. The Lord's like, y'all need to listen to him. That's my boy right there. Now, that wasn't in the notes, y'all all right? Hey, listen to what, it's just because, you know, I'm a young guy and some of y'all are like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. So let me give you some old people. Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. 
I mean, he's like, I don't know how, he's like 102, but he's still preaching. God bless him. He says this, fix your eyes on your heavenly reward instead of earthly allurements. Jonathan Edwards, phenomenal. Listen to what he said. He said he would use all the energy he had to gain as many rewards as possible because the more rewards he got, the more pleasing he would be to the Lord Jesus. Erwin Lutzer says it this way, quote, the possibility of receiving the approval of Christ should make us throw caution to the winds and live passionately for his glory alone. Wow. What are you, what are you living for? Right? What, I mean, what, what, are you, what are you living for? Who are you trying to glorify? Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping yourself? Are you worshiping your job? Are you worshiping some relationship on earth? Are you putting that before the Lord? Or is everything in your life centered around your relationship with Jesus? Judgment seat, man. It's coming. I want y'all to be, it's for believers, right? It's sitting determine whether or not you're going to get in heaven, but it's going to determine what you look like when you're there. Everybody still with me? Y'all want to talk about the marriage supper now? Somebody say yes. Y'all heard enough about judgment seat. Some of y'all look like y'all hate my guts right now. I mean, I, I love you. I'm trying to help you, right? How would you like, here, here's a question. Would you rather go to church all your life and nobody ever tell you about this? And then you stand at the judgment seat and Jesus is evaluating your life and you're like, I didn't even know this was going to happen. Won't happen here, bro. All right, marriage supper of the Lamb. All right, y'all like suppers? Yes. That's good. You're going to like this one, man. Marriage supper of the Lamb, what is it? It's a great banquet to celebrate the marriage of Jesus and his bride. And his bride is the New Testament church. The Bible talks about this repeatedly. Here's what's amazing. The Bible says that you and I are actually going to be dressed by Jesus for this event. Now, the question is, when is all this going to happen? How is it going to roll out? Well, you want to look at Revelation 19, 8 now in your Bible. We read that a moment ago. Revelation 19, 8, the Bible says, It was given to her, speaking about Jesus, given to her, or speaking rather about the church, given to her, speaking about the church, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Did y'all see that? Look at me eyeball to eyeball. The fine linen that you're going to be dressed with is the righteous acts of your life. Now, you're not saved by your good works, but you're saved to do good works. And those good works that you accomplish on earth will meet you in heaven. Your service for Jesus today is sewing your dress for all of eternity. So you, you better sew well. It's going to happen. Y'all with me now? So, okay, I'm studying this, right? And I run across this one guy that starts talking about his graduation. And, man, that helped me out tremendously. Y'all remember what it was like to graduate? Graduated high school or college or whatever. You know, you wear the flat bill hats. Y'all remember these things? And they had the little tassel down there. And you had your robe on. And you couldn't wait till you got to take your little tassel and do this. Because that means a lot, doesn't it? Right? But here's what I noticed. When I went to the first graduation I was ever part of, when I walked in there, I noticed everybody wasn't dressed just like me. I had my robe on, I had my tassel on, I had my flat bill hat on, but there were a few people up, sitting up a little closer to the stage, and they had extra stuff on. 
Some of them had these little pails, had ropes around the neck. I'm like, what in the world? So I asked my buddy, I was like, what's the story with these people? He's like, those people are real smart. <laughs> so I thought maybe they lost mine in the mail or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what'd you do with my stuff? No, no, no. We were all graduating, but we weren't all dressed the same. Every follower of Jesus will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but we will not all be dressed the same. We won't be. The reward seat of Jesus at the judgment will be dressing you for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Your righteous acts will sew your dress white, fine linen. That's it. That's it. And, and by the way, it's not going to be like an American wedding, right? So as soon as I say marriage supper of the Lamb, some of you have thought about an American wedding. It's not that way. You remember American wedding? I remember. I got married uh, once. Y'all down with that? Say amen. All right. So anyway, I remember the day, right? I, I wore a tuxedo. Everybody else in the wedding party on my side, they all wore tuxedos. You know where we got the tux? Where we rented it, right? Nobody cares what the groom's wearing. That's why we all dress the same. That way if one passes out, you just pull the other guy over and you're good to go, right? That was, yeah. I think I've heard that before somewhere. But anyway, so, but that's okay. But, but check this out. When, when all of a sudden that song plays where the bride's walking, what does everybody do? Somebody tell me, what do they do? What do they, come again. What do they do? Yeah, they stand up. They all turn around. They look. So here comes my, my wife, Krista. She's walking. She's all dressed in white. Got the little veil over her head. And everybody's like, oh, she's so beautiful. <laughs> right? Which, by the way, I still do that every day when she walks in. Oh. In my heart, I do this. That's where I do it. I do it in my heart. But that, that's what American wedding is like. Now, check this out. In uh, heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, everybody's going to be in awe, not of the bride, but of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. He will walk in, and you and I will see in Jesus the most radiant, glorious, beautiful person we have ever laid our eyes on. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which by the way, the Lamb is Jesus. The Bible says He's the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's the lamb. So when Jesus walks in, we will many stand in praise. Many fall in praise. Many lay out in praise to the Son of God. It would be overwhelming to see. Here, here's what's crazy, though. The Bible says in Revelation, let me read it to you so you don't think I'm making it up here. Look with me again, verse 9. He says, uh, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Question, who's invited to this supper? I mean, who's invited, right? You, you've got the Lamb there, Jesus. You have the bride there, the church. So, so who's invited? This is awesome. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talk about how the Old Testament saints will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation period. Most scholars believe in that resurrection that the Old Testament saints will be the invited guest to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So can you imagine this? You and I are all hanging out, right? And uh, we're amazed at Jesus getting ready for this supper, and then all of a sudden some guests begin to file in, and you're like, there's Abraham. There's Isaac. There's Jacob. Right, and G Jesus spoke about this too in Matthew 8, 11. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and they will recline at the table. 
What table? Well, this one, the marriage supper of the Lamb, had the table with, and then he says this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine that? Good night. Right, I'll be hanging out at Abraham. Abraham, save your seat. Right over here, come here. No, no, I'm talking about, I'm going to beat you to it too, man. You just wait. You'll be like, there he is. He said it one day. I remember. But also, the book of Ephesians talks about how the angels of glory will be invited to look in upon the church and be overwhelmed for all of eternity at the grace and the redemption of the Son of God. So who else is invited? Well, the angels. Could you imagine that? The background music at the marriage supper of the Lamb will be the worship of angels. The food hadn't even been brought out yet. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, the unthinkable is going to happen. Jesus is going to get up, and he's going to begin to serve us. He said it. Luke 12, 37, Blessed are those whom the master will find alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that the master, speaking about himself, Jesus said, will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he will come and he will wait on them. Can you imagine that? Which, by the way, some of you are like, not me. He's not going to serve me. I'm going to serve him. That's what Peter said at the Last Supper. Remember that? When Peter and the disciples were sitting around and Jesus began to gird up himself and begin to wash their feet, and Peter's like, you're not going to serve me. You're not going to wash my feet. I'm sure he put his hand on his hip like this to you. <laughs> and, then, and then what ended up happening? Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm going I'm to do this. And Peter's like, all right. Jesus is going to serve. <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you, man, that's nuts. Absolutely nuts. Here's the amazing thing. and I've got I to hurry up and quit this thing. At the Last Supper, the disciples around with Jesus before his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, he began to hand out the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. He handed out the, uh, the wine. He said, this is my uh, body, or rather my blood shed for you. So he hands all of this out. And then, then he says, before they drink, he says this. He said, I won't. Are y'all ready to hear what he said? He said, I will not drink of this again with you until I drink it with you anew in the kingdom. When is that going to go down? Right here. I'm going to have Abraham here. I'm going to be like, Peter. You sit next to me, man. Sit next to me. So Peter's going. And then whenever Jesus begins to pass out the wine in heaven, and it's going to be wine. I hope y'all all right with that, Baptist people. It's going to be wine. It ain't, we ain't all going to get drunk crazy, but it's going to be wine coming around. And uh, Peter's going to be like, he told me about this. I'm going to say, what you, what you talking about? What you, he told me before he died, when we were all hanging out, taking the Lord's Supper together. That's what y'all call it, right? The Lord's Supper. Like, yes, we do. He said, he told me about this. He said, we wouldn't drink of this again until we drank it right here. Y'all listening? I'd be like, cheers. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Live in light of that. Why would you spin your wheels for stuff that makes no difference? Why would you invest your time in things that are going to be burnt up at the judgment seat? I want you to do so well at the reward seat of Jesus. I really do. I want to do well. I want you to do well. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together in the Word this morning. Help us supply what we have learned. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you've not given your life to Jesus, now's the time. I'm going to encourage you uh, just to call out to him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. So today I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. And if that's you today and you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ, just do it right there. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you need that. You need to be saved this morning. So would you call out to the Lord today? Call out to him. And secondly, let me just talk to everybody who is a follower of Jesus. Some of you, you are not ready for the judgment seat of Jesus. I mean, you, you're still hem-hawing around, talking about growing in your faith, putting Jesus off, acting like it. But yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join that group. We're going to make a difference for Jesus, just not now. Really? Man, I don't live that way. Good night. Don't live like that. Just a moment, we'll stand at our feet and have an invitation. Uh, if you need to give your heart to Jesus or you have given your heart to Christ today, uh, I'm going to invite you to leave the place where you've been seated. You come forward. I'll be here in the front, others as well. We want to pray for you. We want to help you along in your walk with Jesus, set you up an opportunity in the days ahead for baptism. Uh, so you can just, seriously, you can go public with your faith. You can be like, I'm a follower of Jesus now. That's what baptism is. So I'm going to invite you to come forward. Or God may be calling you to join this church body. If that's the case, you'd be obedient to the Lord today. Uh, Father, we give you this uh, time, this invitation. You work as only you can and uh, solve for your glory. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.